the Courier Journal, and Joe Sanka are acting as members of the Bashir campaign because they are claiming an ad attacking Bashir now isn't true simply because after the fact, Bashir has claimed it's not true. That isn't good journalism. That's campaigning. And welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter, and coming at you today, we've got three important topics to cover. Uh, Senator Rand Paul's main office in Bowling Green caught fire uh, over the weekend. The media does the hard work for Bashir of fact-checking, supposedly fact-checking a GOP ad against him. And I really upset the left this last week. I know we do a segment uh, where I cover about once a week how I upset the left somehow. But this time around, I really upset the left uh, with a post that went pretty far, seen by uh, hundreds of thousands of people and has thousands of comments and shares and reactions. We'll cover that post and so much more today here on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. But before we get into that, please like, comment, share, subscribe. You know, those things really help us out. Uh, I know thousands of you listen to this show each and every day, but hitting that share button, hitting that subscribe button, if you're, if you're listening in a podcast form, such as on Apple or Spotify or any of those other places, please hit that uh, review button, leave a review for us. And if you're listening on Spotify, make sure you're signing up for notifications about new shows. Don't just follow us, uh, but make sure you're signing up for those notifications too as well. And without further ado, let's dig into it. So Thursday night, well, Friday morning at about 2 a.m., Rand Paul's office in Bowling Green, his main office, his main uh, uh, state office, here caught fire. Uh, it took fire people there in Bowling Green about six hours to get this blaze under control. Officially, the cause is still under investigation. No one was hurt, but there was obviously a lot of loss of mementos, awards, important papers, documents, those types of things. And, and I know it's quite troublesome. And I know that the Rand Paul staff is doing the best they can to pull it together. I know a lot of current and former uh, Paul staffers, and I've, I've talked to them a little bit, and I know that there's quite a lot that uh, this, this fire really affects a lot of some of the work they were doing uh, and being able to, to – the main loss, too, of a lot of priceless mementos and awards as well. That, that certainly affects a lot of things as well. Now, of course, conspiracy theories abound about why this fire happened. As I said, the cause is under investigation. It is strange for an office to go up in flame. No one was hurt. Nobody was there. So you have a fire occur at 2 a.m. So it wasn't like they shortly left the building. Uh, but a fire occurs at 2 a.m. with nobody there, obviously, raises some suspicions and people have questions. And I think pretty rightly so. It's okay to ask those questions. Uh, but as of right now, that's not there. Now, now, obviously, this comes as Rand Paul was just recently had announced that he was looking at 
asking for an investigation into Fauci and to charging him for lying before Congress because of his obvious lies about the U.S. funding gain and function research and his his take part in the lab leak uh, cover up, of course. And the timing does seem suspicious. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of things that go on. Though the question would be for, for those people, when it comes to those types of items, one, the important stuff, those important items, generally speaking, they're going to be keeping them on a cloud, on their computer somewhere. And, and also, too, unless there was something in the Paul office where they were really concerned about who was getting access to these documents or trying to move them away from D.C. out of some sort of abundance of caution, any kind of evidence or ideas that he would have pushing towards Fauci, you would think it would actually be in his D.C. office, as obviously that is where uh, Rand himself, when he is working, on these types of things would be because when Rand's back in, you know, I'm sure he has an office there to meet with people uh, occasionally, but when the Senator's back in the state, when he's in Kentucky, he isn't spending as much time in that office. What he is typically doing is going out and meeting and visiting with constituents. He's not spending Monday through Friday in that office. If he's spending weekdays in an office, generally speaking, you're going to be senators doing that in DC. They use the time when they're back home to actually meet with and speak with uh, constituents, not to do necessarily investigatory work out of their office there uh, about like what Fauci was doing. So clearly that raises a lot of questions. And while feel free to leave an open mind, as I am certainly doing, and you know, if, if we can't see a clear and concise message, and, and like I said, I, I do speak with the Paul staffers, I'm sure, um, if there's anything suspicious going on, Rand is the type that he would definitely be the first to raise the alarm. He doesn't let those things go without, of course, holding people to account for them. That's just not how he operates. Uh, so I'm sure that will certainly be the case about bringing that up. But coming up here uh, in this next segment, we've got the story. Bashir has some attack ads come out against him. And the Courier-Journal writer, Joe Sanka, uh, does uh, the better work than even the Bashir campaign could possibly do in attempting to defend Bashir in face of these attacks. We'll have that right after this. All right, so you've got this article that comes out from Joe Sanka. Now, I want to say something about Joe Sanka. I respect Joe Sanka as a quote-unquote uh, researcher, as a person bringing news to a degree, as in bringing uh, information to it. There's a lot of stories that I will see him break or he will be looking out for. He'll notice things. Uh, and he does that good, deep-digging, investigatory work. However, Joe Sanka pretending... He is not somehow, uh, he's, he is no more, and this is, this is what's funny, he is, he's no more uh, objective than I am. Uh, the difference is, is early on, I state to you, and, I, and I'll state to you in this podcast, that this is coming to you. This is news brought to you from a constitutional and conservative perspective. John, Joe Sanka is bringing you news from a far left liberal perspective. If you don't think that's accurate, just follow his Twitter where he speaks freely uh, about issues that he isn't just writing on. And he quite clearly is pretty far to the left. I understand when he writes articles, he probably in his mind does the best he can to try to root that out. But quite clearly, uh, it still bleeds through. 
let's just take a look at this article that Sanka wrote here. That title is fact check dot dot GOP ad mislead by suggesting Bashir supports sex change surgeries for kids. So he says this is a misleading uh, story. Now, this is really important to understand because we've got these two attack ads coming up. And these two attack ads we're going to cover really center around two things. They're going to sit around Senate Bill 150 and Bashir's veto there. And it's also going to talk about an issue we saw going on with the State Board of Education uh, here just about maybe about uh, six to eight months ago. This story really started to break uh, where a principal in Anderson County was suspended because he refused to keep from parents a child's preferred pronouns. And that was breaking with State Board of Education guidance. So first thing to understand where these ads are coming from before I play them. Senate Bill 150 was a bill that did several things. And I've talked about it on this show before. But to recap, it banned the discussion of LGBTQ ideas within schools. Simply, it didn't say you only taught heterosexual sex. No, what instead what it says is, is we're to teach reproductive sex uh, because that's the only scientific value we have to teaching children anything about sex in schools is that simply from the how humans reproduce aspect. And well, the only kind of sex that does that is heterosexual sex. So yeah, it does have more educational value, but putting that to the side, it said, hey, look, you're not gonna be pushing these LGBTQ stuff in the schools. Uh, you're not going to be prescribing hormone uh, to children and puberty blockers to children. And it also banned same-sex surgery. So it did a few things. So banned same-sex surgeries, uh, banned hormones and puberty blockers to children, banned talking about um, the LGBTQ stuff in our schools and it banned teaching sex after uh, before fifth grade, talking about sex at all before fifth grade. And then it also required uh, some parental notifications to allow parents to, to notice that. And it also dealt with too some of these transgender bathroom situations and, and you know, about kids using their biologically uh, assigned sexes to, to their facilities. That's what Senate bill 150 dealt with. I want to read to you Bashir's veto message on that. And it's incredibly important you know what his veto message is. Because what you'll see is, is you're going to see Sanka try to retcon things Bashir is saying now to somehow say that these ads aren't true. And you can't fact check an ad based upon statements somebody makes after the ad's come out once they realize that, oh, I need to, I need to change it. So let's look at his actions at the time. He vetoes Senate Bill 150. And he vetoes it with this message. I, Annie Bashir, governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, pursuant to authority granted under Section 88, the Kentucky Constitution, do hereby veto the following. Senate Bill 150 of the 2023 regular session of the General Assembly in its entirety. Not parts of it. In its entirety. That's important to understand as we go forward, too. He didn't say, while I agree with this or that, he's saying I veto it in its entirety. We continue. Senate Bill 150 allows too much government interference in personal health care issues and rips away freedom of parents to make medical decisions for their children. 
Senate Bill 150 further strips freedom from parents to make personal family decisions on the names of their children are called and how people should refer to them. Senate Bill 150 also turns educators and administrators into investigators that must listen in on student conversations and then knock on doors to confront and question parents and families about how students behave and or refer to themselves or others. I'm also vetoing Senate Bill 150 because my faith teaches me that all children are children of God and Senate Bill 150 would endanger the children of Kentucky. In 2022, National Survey on LGBTQ youth, 45% of LGBTQ youth seriously considered suicide in the past year and nearly one in five transgender youth attempted suicide. The American Medical Association reports that recipient of care dramatically reduces the rate of suicide attempts, decreases feelings of depression, anxiety, and reduces substance abuse. Improving access to gender-affirming care is an important means of improving health outcomes for transgender population. Senate Bill 150 will cause an increase in suicide among Kentucky's youth. For those reasons, I'm vetoing Senate Bill 150. Now, despite the fact that everything he just said is not dependent upon science and quite literally some of the stupidest dribble I've ever heard anybody say that somehow, and of course we hear them repeat this all the time, that somehow... Because if, if, if you don't, if these children live their lives as normal children, then somehow that increases suicide, ignoring, of course, the fact that the suicide rates drastically increase. Also ignoring the fact that suicide rate is so incredibly high amongst LGBTQ youth, so much higher than any other population in, can, in America's history, including enslaved minorities in America's history, including them, their suicide rate is higher. So ignoring that this is nothing to do, it's pills aren't going to solve this, but giving them proper care that tells them they're not a different gender, stop hating your skin, but instead we reaffirm that, putting that completely stupid thought process to the side. So that was his veto message. Nowhere in there does he say, you heard it, I heard it, I read to you its entirety. For those of you watching on video, it showed up on the screen. In its entirety, that's it. It, nowhere in there does he mention anything about surgeries. And on top of that, too, another thing you need to know as you consider these ads is let's look at the guidance that the State Board of Education put out uh, not too long ago, uh, just a few, I think, last year, um, that got that principal fired to context in exactly what we're talking about when it comes to these ads. That we're about to see what are they basing that on let's take a look here so this is from the kentucky department of education considerations for using preferred names is it ever appropriate for a school to disclose sexual orientation for gender identity to a parent or caregiver in some instances it may be appropriate for school leaders to disclose sexual orientation or gender identity to a parent or caregiver Whenever possible, schools should seek to avoid an involuntary disclosure by providing support to students, encouraging them to self-disclose when they feel safe to do so. So the guidance was saying, these kids, if they're using a preferred pronoun, don't tell the parents. That's what the guidance said. Now I'm going to play for you this first ad. It's not easy being a parent, protecting them, teaching them our values, and right from wrong. So it doesn't help that Andy Bashir would allow sex changes for children as young as 8 and 9 years old. That's right. Bashir seems to think young children are ready to make decisions about permanently changing their gender. It's radical, irreversible, and wrong. Call Andy Bashir. Tell him to keep Kentucky's children out of his liberal culture wars. So there was the first ad. In that ad, there's a point, if you're listening to the audio version of this, 
that a, a underneath Bashir's head, a line came up talking about uh, gender sex changes for people under the age of 18. Now, based upon Bashir's own actions, based upon the fact that he vetoes a bill that clearly, clearly states that they would be banning these surgeries, he vetoes it in its entirety. He doesn't say, I agree with that part, disagree with this part. He just vetoes the whole thing, never bothers to bring that up. But after this ad comes out, well, then Bashir comes out and says, well, look, look, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't really believe in that. I swear. I swear I really don't. You know, he does one thing, says another. He vetoes a bill to ban something he says he doesn't support later on. His actions completely back up everything in that ad. But that's not the only ad. Let's take a look at the second ad. No such thing as someone else's child. The radical left has declared war on parents, and Andy Bashir is with them. Bashir supports making it easier for children to get abortions without telling their parents. He supports allowing schools to refer children to psychological treatment without telling parents. Bashir even supports allowing school employees to secretly help children change genders without telling their parents. Andy Bashir putting liberal politics over parents. So there is the second ad. Now, Bashir knows that this stuff doesn't pull well. I mean, we know it doesn't pull well. He knows that nobody in their right mind, a fringe minority of his group, believes in chopping the genitalia off minors. He knows that. And he knows in small amount of his electorate actually supports giving puberty blockers and hormones to children that permanently alter them. See, the left is trying to sell us on this idea that these puberty blockers and hormones are not uh, have no long-term effects because obviously the minute they conclude, yeah, it can, it can affect you in, in the future, it has some effects into the future, the minute that that is said, their entire arguments fall apart because a normal person, your average American, doesn't want to permanently harm children based upon whatever sexual fantasies that an adult has pushed upon them to make them believe they're a different gender. He knows it doesn't pull well. That's why Bashir came out and said, well, no, I don't actually think that. Not before the ad, not in the veto message, when he actually did the actions to show that he believes that, but now after the fact. So that leaves, now Joe Sonka's article, fact check, GOP ad misled by suggesting Bashir supports sex change surgeries for kids. He claims that since Bashir came out after the first ad and said that it's not true, the ads are now misleading. If every time somebody said that that's not true, I disagree with that statement, the paper would be printing fact checks on every single political candidate ever. You can't simply base it upon whether or not a politician agrees with the attack ad or not. Of course, Bashir isn't going to agree with the attack ad. What politician agrees with an attack ad against them? None of them do. No politician agrees with the attack ad against them. So, of course, when an attack ad comes out, a politician is going to say, nope, 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 you got it wrong. Nope, nope, nope. And it is not this so-called uh, uh, middle road. I have no, uh, I, this is just objective journalism's job to come out and say, well, since, you know, Bashir said he doesn't agree with that ad, that ad misleads. Does Joe Sanka offer any evidence of actions by Bashir that speak 
uh, louder than his words? No. In the entire article, nowhere does Joe Sonka mention his actions. The closest he comes to mentioning actions is that a LGBTQ groups as well as Bashir groups claim that these surgeries don't go on. So they're not really against the bill banning it, but it would be like a bill banning unicorns. And so I, we just don't see a point in the bill in the first place. That would be their argument against it. They're not in favor of a bill banning the surgeries. No, Bashir never said he'd be in favor of that bill. In fact, a bill like that was never proposed by any Democrats in our state legislature. A bill like that wasn't pushed by Bashir. See, this is just a conclusion he's come to because he has to win an election and he's getting the backup from these LGBTQ right groups because they know the game. They know if they tell you what they really want to do, permanently disfigure the genitalia minors, you would never vote for them. So they'll lie about it. And we've seen this time and time again. They tell us, don't worry about CRT. We're not teaching it. Don't worry about uh, uh, your kids' uh, drag shows. The, you know, your kids, they're not, they're not happening in schools. Then they happen in schools. We see this time and time again. This is their playbook. And we know it well. Personally, I think that this article that Sanka wrote is uh, kind of ridiculous to call it journalism. You are acting as an arm of Bashir's campaign to simply claim that an ad is misleading because the candidate, after the fact, says it's not true. The Courier Journal and Joe Sanka are acting as members of the Bashir campaign because they are claiming an ad attacking Bashir now isn't true simply because after the fact, Bashir has claimed it's not true. That isn't good journalism. That's campaigning. And if you want to be respected as a paper and a journalist, either be honest and say you're a far left liberal newspaper and drop this whole idea that you're somehow, uh, you're just reporting the facts, drop this idea that you're somehow unbiased or actually start reporting things in an unbiased way. And saying that attack ad isn't true simply because the candidate they're attacking said it wasn't true without any evidence is not journalism. Coming up, I really upset the left this week. We'll be talking about what caused that right after this. All right, so I really upset the left this week. Uh, this post here uh, has been seen by hundreds of thousands of people. has received tons of shares. And don't get me wrong, a lot of positive feedback too as well. But let me show it to you. It's a post I made there on the 18th. It is a picture of, so, so Disney has decided that they're going to redo Snow White um, and the Seven Dwarfs. And they're going to do it by not having a character who accurately represents Snow White and not have Seven Dwarfs. They hired a person of Latino descent um, to play Snow White. And so I posted this picture with the caption, Snow White is one of the only specifically white fairy tale characters. It's literally in her name. And then the photo says Off-White and the Seven Diversity Hires. Now, if you knew anything about Snow White, you would be able to look at that post and know it's not racist. But why is this even a problem? Why do we even complain about this? And I'm not asking my government to step in. You know, you see people all the time be like, I thought you're all about leaving people alone. Oh, now corporations, you're against corporations doing whatever they want to do. Corporations and businesses do what they do. And then it's up to us, the consumer, to reward or not. Boycotting or saying you won't watch it is perfectly within your rights in a free America. 
and voicing your opinion about it is within your rights in a free America. I'm not asking my government to tell them they can't do this. I'm just saying that this is pointless garbage that you're doing. Now, why is that? Now, obviously, we received a lot of positive feedback, people who got it right away and understand exactly what the problem is. Because not only has Disney cast someone with Latino descent to play a character, Snow White, and they cast a bunch of different <laughs> male, female, different skin color, different sizes, people to play what was originally seven dwarves, male dwarves. So not, not only are they getting away from that, but they've also removed Prince Charming from the story. At this point, you are in an entirely different story. And if you got upset, and if I got upset, that they decided they're going to make a story about a with a main character is a person of Latino descent and seven of her friends that help her go through a crisis. Um, it would be wrong of you to complain that they casted a Latino person to do that. It would be wrong of anybody to complain about that. That simply saying they shouldn't cast a person based on their skin color is bigoted, but that's not what they're doing. They aren't reimagining a story at all. Instead, they're creating a whole new one while cannibalizing a story we already know. No one cried when they redid Cinderella any number of times. They've redone it with uh, black people. They've redone it with Latinos. They've redone it with white people. Worst of all, they've redone it with Hillary Duff. And yet nobody really threw a fit outside of when it was just a bad movie not worth seeing. Why? Because the race of the person playing Cinderella isn't really important to the story. The only reason why anybody gave any backlash about the little mermaid was because, well, as much as the left wants to make skin color mean anything more than it's just a marker of where your family historically grew up at, i.e. their exposure to sunlight, that's all that it means is that Thousands of years ago, your ancestors lived in a place that was sunnier or not as sunny. Instead of being that's what it's all about, they want to make it about more. And the only reason why anybody threw fit over Little Mermaid was simply because it didn't make much sense to have a person who lives deep under the sea have a dark skin hue to their color of their skin because they weren't being exposed to sunlight all that often. That clearly, clearly... Uh, doesn't happen. And it's just kind of the illogical nature. Now, as my wife would point out, it's ridiculous for you to point out the illogical nature of mermaids' uh, skin color when mermaids themselves are illogical, but we'll put that to the side. Of course, if we were to make mermaids look like what mermaids would maybe look like, actually look like, they would look nothing like a humanoid because their development in their area would obviously change their appearance. Now, why is Snow White's skin color important to the story at all? Well, let's listen to the original story. She said to herself, Oh, that I had a child as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as the wood of the embroidery frame. Not very long after, she had a daughter, with skin as white as snow, lips as red as blood, and hair as black as ebony and she was named Snow White. Now, clearly, after listening to that excerpt, you can see that Snow White was not called Snow White because it was a convenient character's name. It was something she was named 
because of specifically they were drawing out a feature. It's like in storybook rhymes when they called somebody Prince Charming. Well, if you casted a character that wasn't charming, you would completely ruin the story. It'd be like casting a normal man to play beast that is in no way beastly. Well, you throw off the whole dynamic of the, the princess, quote unquote, falling in love with somebody based upon not their appearance, but what's inside them, which is what happened, of course, in Beauty and the Beast. You're removing an element of the story. Now, clearly, the comment section were filled up with people whose parents never loved them and never read them the Cinderella story because they claimed that her name, Snow White, had nothing to do with her skin color. That my demanding that a character called Snow White because they're redoing the classic fairy tale Snow White was simply because I was bigot and nothing to do with maintaining the original story, an important element of the story. As many people tried to claim that, well, it had nothing, her name had nothing to do with her skin color. And comments abound saying, well, should any black person with the last name white change their name or any white person with the last name black change their name? It's almost as if because you noticed an important story element that leads to an important detail, like a main character's name, that makes you a bigot. As I said earlier, are you a bigot for demanding Prince Charming actually be charming or the beast look like a beast? Of course not. You're just simply saying this story has already been told. If you want a new story, make one. Nobody's stopping you from doing that. But when you cannibalize an old story, a story we've all heard and know, it obviously will create backlash. Now, of course, the very tolerant left took these arguments that people made back to them in strides. By that, I'm joking, because of course... The tolerant left who cares so much about people being bigoted and cares so much about everything else went on to regularly uh, not only just attack on a few posts, but, but started moving across posts and issuing some attacks. One of my favorite comments that I read was one where the person said uh, on a podcast, on an entire episode, said I was literally so stupid and had no idea what I was talking about. It was a strange comment from a person that lives in California and the podcast itself, as all my podcasts are, are almost exclusively focused on Kentucky issues. How would that individual know whether or not my takes are dumb or not? Are they an expert on Kentucky politics? Of course not. All they knew was this, that I didn't celebrate the most recent destruction of our culture. And that was enough for me to become an enemy of the left again this week. Well, guys, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Thank you all so much for joining us. We'll be back here tomorrow at 1 o'clock with another episode. Please like, comment, share, subscribe. Sign up for the alerts on the platforms you do subscribe on. Thank you all so much, and have a great rest of your day.